So Money Episode 787, Claude Silver, Chief Heart Officer for VaynerMedia. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Ever wish there was someone at your company, in your job, whose role was to light you up every day? Someone whose job is to enhance your well-being, your happiness, and fulfillment at work? Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, and today we're welcoming Claude Silver to the show. She is the Chief Heart Officer for VaynerMedia, which is the powerhouse media company created by none other than Gary Vaynerchuk, who is also a best-selling author and by many accounts, one of the most recognized entrepreneurs in the world. Well, as chief heart officer, Claude has a very special job. She's responsible for improving and inspiring Vayner's 800 plus employees. Her role is to help nurture the amazing culture at Vayner and ensure it is a place where all employees feel at home. Hmm. Don't we wish more companies prioritize this? How do I get a chief heart officer over here at So Money? Growing up, Claude wanted to either be a philanthropist or a movie director, but at the heart of it all, she just really liked to help people. So today we're going to talk about how this woman, this inspiring woman, landed the unique job role of chief heart officer, the book that changed her life, and how she tries to, as she says, light people up at work every day. Here we go. Here's Claude Silver. Claude Silver, welcome to So Money, my friend. It's great to finally reconnect with you. Um, we just met actually uh, about a couple months ago and instantly attracted to you. I don't know, there was some energy going on in the air. Did you feel it? I really did. First of all, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. And I immediately felt it. And then you said, I know your brother. Mm -hmm. And then we connected on that. And then I loved your necklaces. And we connected on that. And you could just tell we just had great energy flow. You're an absolute delight. And your brother is Caleb Silver, who, for those of you listening, was is the mastermind behind my money course over at Investopedia. Very grateful to Caleb. He's been a big supporter of my career for many years now. And it was a real opportunity to be able to finally collaborate with him on the money course for, um, for everybody out there who was begging me to do something in the course space. And I just didn't have the I just didn't know where to start. And Caleb really walked me through it beautifully. And we hope that you'll go on there and, and buy the course. Shameless plug. Um, but I want to start, Claude, with a very serious question, important question. On your Twitter bio, it says that you always have a song in your head. What's your song in your head today? It goes minute by minute, but I got to tell you, it's Spit on a Stranger by Pavement at this exact moment. I can't say I know that song. Is that <laughs> is that lame? No, it's my emo, you know, 80s self showing up. It, I have random, random songs. I mean, I could, this minute, I could have the Supremes in my head next minute. And uh, no, you're not lame. It is just 
the randomized jukebox that is. I don't even know if your listeners are going to know what a jukebox is. Oh, we, we we're, we're not. I mean, we know it's uh, okay. it's that thing, right? Where they had it yeah. on Happy Days. I remember watching that in the growing up, but. Yeah. Um, Spit on a Stranger, not the song title that I would expect from somebody whose title is Chief Heart <laughs> Officer, who grew up wanting to be a philanthropist. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but tell us a little bit about your role at VaynerMedia. Um, I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. It's no secret. I profiled him for CNBC. And um, one day he'll come on this podcast. He's a little busy, but I, you know, I, I want to l- learn more about this role that he created for you. It's not something that we often hear in the C-suite at companies at large. It's not like the typical role. So Chief Art Officer, tell us a little bit more about the role that you fill and how does it come to life? What is this Chief Art Officer role? Okay. All right. Yeah. Anyway, big, big props to Gary because we both love him. And and um, without Gary, I wouldn't have this role, as you said. He is the one that identified in me when we first met, which is five years ago, uh, that he and I had a very similar way of seeing people. We are both emotional optimists. He's the ultimate optimist. I'm probably uh, an optimist, but I carry a lot of emotion with me, a la Spit on a Stranger by Pavement. Um And um, the role itself is the person that helps cultivate and hold and sustain and scale the culture of an organization. And the culture is the people and their experience. So I look at uh, being a a CHO in this way. The root of the word culture comes from a word called cultura, C-U-L-T-U-R-A, which means cultivation of the soul. That's huge. Cultivation of the soul of this company, of the employees with grace and generosity. I hold space. I give them attention. I'm as transparent as possible. And I'm in action. Action is a huge part of this role. I think it's one thing to listen to people. And it's another thing to listen to people and then take action. So when I first took on the role, uh, let's see, two and a half, two and a half years ago or so, um, I said to Gary, cool, great. Yes, got it. What's my KPI? How do we know if I'm successful? And he said, you will touch every single employee and infuse the agency with empathy. Boom. So it was up to me to figure out how to do that, how to cultivate the soul, how to make sure I'm touching people, not in a cheap and cheerful way, but I'm really spending time with people. And so I went about figuring out how to do that, which really is no secret. I do plenty of one-on-ones all throughout the day. I do town halls. I'm in different types of meetings where I'm either doing a training and development or bringing a facilitator in to train and develop 800 people. But but really, I'm encouraging employees to to bring their full selves to work. And it's my job and everyone's job, but really my job to ensure that we are creating a safe psychological, emotional, uh, physical place for people to come in and belong because you cannot, I cannot ask anything of anyone unless they have a place where they feel safe and met. So that's a very long-winded way of saying 
I'm holding people. I'm taking care of people. I am helping them identify their roadblocks. I am not the hero of their story. I am simply a guide and I'm shining a light on what it is they can do, what is possible for them here at VaynerMedia and really outside as well in life. It's not often where you discover that one of a a company's priorities is to instill empathy in their employees, like actively do this, designate a role to someone to be in charge of this. That is exceptional. One of the things I read, a quote that you question rather that you ask yourself every day is how do I light people up? Mm-hmm. And what are some ways that you're lighting people up? Like what are, what's an example of that? Or how did you light someone up today? Okay, perfect example. I met a, a guy on our media team. He's been here nine months and I am finally getting around to meeting him, which is a, a little too long in my book, but I finally got to meet him. And in those, uh, in the 15 minutes that I spent with him, uh, through the questions I asked him, I could see that he is still shy and in a bubble of his team. And he hadn't met anyone outside of his team, which means he hasn't really found the culture of VaynerMedia yet, nine months in. And so talking to him and saying, hey, have you met people? Great. I'm going to set you up with 10 people, 10 of my people who I just trust through and through. I'm going to write them emails right now. And you're going to get a great sense of what VaynerMedia is all about through 10 varieties of people. And he was super, super stoked. That's a way to light someone up. I mean, on paper, it might not seem like anything, but the guy came in like, hey, it's nice to meet you, Claude, and left with it. Oh, my God, thank you so much. You've just opened up a door for me. That's one way to light someone up. How does one arrive at the role of chief heart officer? It's not something that they teach at you know, MBA schools. Like you know, People might want to aim for the CFO designation, CMO, but how do you arrive at chief heart officer? And I hope that this is a role that will be replicated at other companies. It's like, do you see this as maybe being the trend or the movement or do you feel still like you're an outlier in the, world, in the business world? And I do still think it's an outlier at its bones, at what it's really, really meant to do. However, there have been about maybe 10, 15 people in the course of two and a half years that have reached out to me, asked me about the role. Oh, my God, I'm a chief heart off. I'm going to change my title to chief heart off. Cool. I mean, what a legacy, right? So that's amazing. But what I will say is I have seen and felt a movement of people in uh, HR departments or in executive offices that have um, come closer to bringing humanity into the workplace. I see, I don't, you know, I'm going to use the word softening. I don't want to use the word softening because I don't want to give it a, um, a secondary uh, a vibe, but I have seen more tenderness. I have seen more people being awakened to the fact that we are treating employees like employees and not human beings. And so I'm really stoked that I have seen that movement. I found a wonderful community on on uh, on social, uh, especially LinkedIn, people that are wanting to have these conversations and do something with them. So that's awesome. And I I read that you know you wanted to be a philanthropist growing up. At some point, I think maybe at the intersection of 
in your 40s, you were determining what your next steps were going to be. I watched the trailer of, or rather the video of your chief heart officer role on YouTube that VaynerMedia created. It was really, really informative, but you wanted to maybe go back to grad school and get a degree in social work. Like, mm-hmm. And then this position was basically designed for you by Gary. But what what do you think drew him to identifying you as the person for this role? What prepared you? Um, it, uh, simply put, life. Uh, but more, more than that, I think um, the ability to know what it's like at the bottom and to find my way to the top. And I don't mean... <laughs> financially, and I don't mean with a title. I mean, knowing what it's like to have fallen on my ass 8,000 times and to have struggled with whatever it is I've struggled with and to have endured and um, and through perseverance come to a place where I'm very accepting and very aware of, of who I am and my impact on the world. And I, 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 I hope that I do that in a very humble way. And I think that's something that attracted him to me in this role. Do you find it challenging, more challenging than anything else you've ever done? Or do you feel like it's very easy for you? How would you rate the challenges of this job? So it's a job I've been doing my whole life. I've always been a heart officer. There's never been a moment in my life that I haven't been a coach, that I haven't, that I haven't showcased a very strong belief in people. So I've always been who I am. That has not changed. I don't put a mask on every day to come here or take the mask off. Um, What has given me an enormous amount of tools are the fact that I've lived many lives in 49 years, whether or not I was an outward bound instructor or I ran and started my own surfing and outdoor adventure company, or I was a, you know, a a strategic officer um, running global brands for P&G or Shell. I mean, I have so many tools at my fingertips through positive psychology or clairvoyant training or so forth and so on that I use on a daily basis, whether or not I am here, there or elsewhere. And the great thing is I'm able to do what I really consider my life's work at this job right here and right now. And I can see the effects. And that makes me so incredibly proud. It makes me put my hand on my heart right this second because it's a give and take. This this culture has has given to me and I'm giving it to, I'm giving to them. So, um, I don't, you know, I don't want to say it's the easiest thing I've ever done because we're dealing with people and life on life's terms and some, you know, some deep challenges on some days and some hard decisions to make, but I'm also dealing with human beings walking their walk and there's nothing else I want to do. There's so, so, so in effect, it's, it feels as it feels as wonderful as breathing oxygen. Wow! And I I really I really really mean that. If you had me working for a CFO or doing something that was extremely left-brained, it would be a tragedy. It really would. <laughs> so uh, I'm fortunate that I have a balance of critical thinking and, and strategic skills, but I am I'm very right-brain oriented. You know, it wasn't until I read uh, Dan Pink's A Whole New Mind, I don't know, eight, ten years ago, that I, I found I found an, a, such an appreciation for the for the way I am, for the way I think, for the way I process. Because 
you know, you ask like how I got here. Uh, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not, um, I have a road less traveled. And so I really, have you heard that phrase compare despair? When you compare yourself to others, you're, you're really despair. You're in, you're in hell. And so I think because of who I was an extremely right brain and extremely, oh my God, you always think so much with your heart. You know, that's a, that's a real way to feel different in the world. And for a long time I did until the Dan Pink book came out, until I finally started finding my own communities that allowed me to feel really centered and really proud of what I bring to the table, which is this. Compare despair. I'm, I'm going to start saying that all the time now. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's so Excellent. relevant, especially these days with social media and all of the pressures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- yeah. I'd love to explore your financial perspectives, experiences, et cetera. Maybe a good first question as we transition is to ask, you know, what would you say is your money philosophy, Claude? Like, do you have a person? I mean, you have a lot of convictions. I can tell you're a woman who knows who she is when it comes to your relationship with money or how you think about money. What is sort of an overarching all, all encompassing statement or, you know, we just, we've gone through a few of those already, like compared to spare. I love that one, but <laughs> as it relates to money, what would you say? So a couple different things. I think uh, it took me a while to have a relationship with money, excuse me, an honest relationship where I wasn't just throwing money, throwing my paychecks out the window, um, where I wasn't free to be you and where I just it took me a while to understand the benefit of a 401k, saving money, and uh, budgeting for a vacation. That took a while to do because I was independent and I was, uh, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was alone. I wasn't married or anything, so it was my money. I could do what I wanted. If I wanted to skip out to Paris for a long weekend, Claude could do that. As I've grown older and continued to. Uh, put in money into retirement funds. Uh, I love the stock market. I do dabble quite a bit. Um, thank God for Investopedia because it is very helpful to me. Um, I like to I like to know that I have enough money saved in a in liquid that if I needed to uh, go someplace for a year and not have an income, I would be okay. So I save money. I put money away in different accounts. I do play with some stocks and um, I try not to have a lot of my credit cards. And I would say, you know, putting money away into a 401k is just, it was, it was like uh, a no brainer for me. It made a lot of sense. Now I started my own company when, uh, right after 9-11, I was in San Francisco. So I needed to draw upon money. I needed, I needed liquid to buy surfboards and buy insurance for an outdoor adventure company and pay rent and buy a car that could hold eight surfboards on it and all of those things. But the payoff was, was, uh, exponential. So it sounds like you might be more risk averse or rather a real planner in some ways. Um, it's funny. I would never call myself a planner. However, <laughs> again, here I am, uh, you know, and, you know, as I'm in my, my fourth decade and the end of my fourth decade, I, I can't go back in time and, 
uh, can't go back 20 years and, and put money away. Those days are gone. So I am more frugal to an extent. I do plan things out, but I really have enjoyed, I enjoy the financial independence and flexibility that, um, that, it, that, that I have now with, uh, with money, which makes me feel really good. I, I know that I'm okay for the future. And that is something that I didn't know at 25 years old. I never would have been able to tell you that. I never would have cared. I never would have known what it was even like. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I work, I work really hard. I believe in a paycheck. I believe in earning my keep. I believe in uh, walking home every night after work and knowing that I squeeze the heck out of that orange and there's only pulp left. <laughs> Was that always your mentality, maybe growing up? Uh, maybe not because you said you're 25, you weren't really thinking in these ways. So what was your introduction to money like as a kid? Was there a, an experience or a conversation that you remember overhearing or that you had that really made an impact? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was born um, with a lot of advantage. Um, my, my father's a venture capitalist. And, and so I understood at a very early age what that meant, um, what it meant to be self-employed, and also what it meant to raise money for others, which is kind of going back to wanting to be a philanthropist, wanting to be of service. Um, and then in the late 80s, things took a, things took a downward spiral. And I got a, uh, a different understanding of what it was like to not have that freedom and to see my family go through some really hard times, embarrassing times when it came to finances. And so I think it's, it's, it's certainly something I learned from. I never want to be in that situation where, uh, it's, you know, money goes through the, the, uh, the sand. It's just like sand goes through the hourglass and it slips away. Yes. You know, I never want to do that. Not do, you, do you, would you characterize any moment in your financial life as a fail? Oh God, yes. Yeah. Okay. My Tell God. us one. Oh my gosh. I think, um, the first, uh, the first time I was, uh, in a partnership with someone and decided to go in on a, on a house with them and I didn't sign any documents and we broke up and the money went away. I had, I had nothing left. Oh my gosh. That was huge. An enormous moment in life where you realize, gosh, sometimes love doesn't last and promises that you make in that moment, if they're not written down on a legal letter, it's gone. So that was enormous. And I I really started over financially as a 35 year old. So from, you know, the time I started working, probably 18 to 35, losing a lot of money at 34 and starting over like legit starting over with a credit score, all that stuff. So what what was the first thing you did when that happened to help yourself get back on track? uh, I borrowed money from my brother. It was the first thing I did. (laughs) Absolutely. I got a different job that paid me a lot more money than I was making. Um, I downsized from living in a one bedroom to a studio in San Francisco. I sold my Saab and I got a beater uh, minivan and I drove that around. I mean, I made some serious changes. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've come to the conclusion that if you really want to get out of some serious debt or really just make over your financial life, if you want to do it quickly, you have to get uncomfortable. You got to yeah, you got to make geez. some uncomfortable choices. Yeah, I mean, thank God there was no seamless back then. You know, uh, it was like or Uber or all the others. 
Our sponsor for this show is Chase Slate, and they did a recent survey, and they found that uh, over 66%, something like two-thirds of millennials have shared a purchase recently on Instagram. And um, we talked recently about compare despair, and that can that can be a little tricky when you are constantly feeling like the need to share on social media, especially like purchases. But it does beg the question, and I ask this of, of guests, Recently, have you shared a purchase or a, a perch, you know, something that you bought, an experience or a thing to people, whether it was on social media or in person, like because you were excited about it? And what was it? I love, I actually love that question. I think it's really a, a, a curious one. The last thing I can remember was sharing an experience, and that was a trip to Italy over Christmas where I was, obviously I was in Italy, I was drinking Aperol spritzes, I was eating incredible food, I was at the Vatican, at here, there, whatever. So it is something that I definitely shared on social. Yeah. I I, I get that sense that if there is something people share, it's an experience. Um, I mean, certainly I have a friend who's always sharing her purse, her purses <laughs> that she's bought <laughs> online. And it's super cute. I mean, I always like them because... Um, yeah. It, gives, it satisfies her. So I, um, yeah. it's a little bit yeah. of a dangerous follow, though, I will say, because it, it leads you down sometimes expensive paths. You're like, oh, that's a cute yeah. purse. I want that purse. Right? You know, right. I need a purse. And then, and then there's the shop now button, and then you're doomed. You're just a goner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right. So now I'll question about habits. A so money habit, Claude, that you have, a financial habit that you practice maybe within your relationship or you as an individual to make sure that your money is where it needs to be. All right. This is as corny as corny can be. On my Google calendar twice a month, there is a, a mention of how much money is coming out of my paycheck and going into what account. So... It is a habit. I see it twice a month. When I get paid, I know exactly what's coming out. And it's a good reminder to me. How do you so, set that up? Is that through an app or you just... Um, well, I set, you? Yeah, no, so I, I set it up through um, the paycheck company that we use here at VaynerMedia. And then I take certain money out and some goes into Fidelity and some goes into my Bank of America account. And call it a day. But I'm aware on these two days a month, because it says, Claude depositing XXX, that that money is that A, I have the money and B, it's being moved. Yeah, I think we live in such a frenzied digital electronic world, which is great in many ways. But I think when it comes to our money, money has become so digitized, our transactions have become so digitized, it's easy to lose touch. And I want to make sure that we can incorporate some touch points. And that's a great, that's a great tip. I'm going to yeah, start doing that. Thank you. It's, I mean, it's so simple. I mean, my mom, bless her soul, is uh, still calls the bank every single day to check her balance. She's a psychotherapist. And so she's taking checks in every single day and depositing them. And she, with a pencil, does her checking account. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Go mom. Yeah. Good for That's her. Legit. That's legit. Yeah. That is legit. Absolutely. That is super legit. 
whatever yeah. works for you, you know, that's right. There's no, Amen. you don't have to do it your way. You don't have to do it your mom's way, but you know what? You're doing something. <laughs> got to do, you got to do something. Just do something. You don't want, they don't want to wake up at 30, 35, whenever you, whenever you decide to wake up and you're broke yeah. because those years are gone. So and the money could be too. So yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Last yeah. but not least, let's do some so money fill in the blanks, Claude, where I just start a sentence and then you finish it. Okay. Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say five hundred million dollars, the first thing I would do is buy my parents a gorgeous ranch in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh, is that something that mm-hmm. they've been wanting to do for some time, or? Yeah, they're really they're they're starting to look at places where they could uh, create a vineyard. And my mom loves to garden, and they're seventy seven, and and I want to make sure that they they're good. That's sweet. All right, one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is dry cleaning, Ubers, seamlesses, <laughs> <laughs> as I just was saying, all the uh, recurring automated, yeah. Yeah. Things that save me time. Yeah. Yeah. Time. Oh my gosh. Fresh direct. I mean, it's, it's for, it's, I mean, those, those are like built for us city people. Yes. Uh, There was an article like five years, six years ago in the New York times that was sort of a funny, it was a funny approach to all of these services. Like the woman who wrote the article did this experiment where she locked herself in her apartment for a week and saw and wanted to see if she could actually just get everything delivered to her front door. I mean, anything and everything. And it, and this was a while ago. So we didn't have maybe the, as much access to things as we do now, but it was still possible back then, but she did it as sort of this like funny kooky experiment, which by the way, has become reality now. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, I don't remember the last time I went awesome. to the grocery store. Oh, was that a question? No, that was just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that was just a statement, a period exclamation yeah. point. <laughs> All right. How about this? One thing thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is? Saving for a rainy day. Yes. When I donate, I like to give to blank because? I like to give to human beings that are going without the necessary things that we need to stay alive, such as charity water. Mm. Yeah, food banks. Yeah, any. It's so important to me that human that all human beings have the same staples: water, food, oxygen. You know, access to clean, to cleanliness. Mm -hmm. Those types of things. Uh, I wish I. I mean, with that five hundred dollar, five hundred million dollar question, that's the next thing I would do is give some money to. To people that uh, that are in some serious need, right? Medical serious. needs, right? Health, yeah. good health, you know, uh, services and yes. medical attention. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Last but not least, I'm Claude Silver. I'm so money because because <laughs> I give a shit about people. Yes, Chief Heart <laughs> Officer. Thank you so much. I know you're also on the road to becoming a parent for the first time. Buried the lead a little bit, but I wanted to also mention that because that's so special and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me. 
You can follow Claude at VaynerMedia.com and also on Twitter at Claude Silver. If you missed any of this, just hop over to SoMoneyPodcast.com where we have the transcript as well as the audio. And also you can click on Ask Farnoosh while you're there. Send me your question for our Friday episodes. P.S. If you'd like to see my comedy act, (laughs) that's happening in one week, October 3rd at Gotham Comedy. Would love to see you there. Seven o'clock. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money.